0: All right, we're about to watch a a fun little video um, of uh, Rebecca walking me through the building that's being built up the hill a little way. Some of you may have noticed there's a hill, there's a building up there on the hill that's being built, and um, uh, she's going to walk me through it. And I'm gonna, um, I'm not quite as ignorant as I pretend to be in the video, but it's close. And uh, the assumption is that you're going, man, what is going on with that building? Well, it's two or three weeks old. The video is two or three weeks old. Um, So some of the ideas in the video, in particular about the playground and some other things, may or may not happen the way we thought two or three weeks ago they were going to happen. If you've ever been involved in a construction project, you know how that works. Um, So, but this is a great way to update you to know where we are, and then I'll give you some more update here in a second as soon as it's done. So... (music)
1: short weeks, of busting through these doors and welcoming everyone to our new grade school building. We will have three kiosks there Kay. to check in Kay. and three more down the way, so hopefully shorter lines. Then, imagine over here that we have a four-tier playground. We will have uh, bridges and different levels, some slides coming down, and even a climbing wall around the top. Wow. Now the hope is to bring a little whimsy. It'll mm-hmm. be mainly for people five years and up. Moms will have a seating area right over there near the classrooms where they can come and, and hang out and see what's happening.
0: So, front entrance, as front entrance is where we just were, this is the entrance coming in yes. from the church.
1: Covered walkway all the way over from the current uh, education building, which okay. will be the new preschool only building when this opens. to the classrooms. There's four on this side and four on that side. And then we have the bathrooms here, um, our cubby hole, and then our big rooms. They are a little bit bigger than what we've had in the past. Wow, so, this is good
0: sized. Yeah. How many kids you think?
1: We are planning between for 20 to 24 kids at a time in a room. We'll have cabinets and a seats in the rooms, and we'll actually have built-in storage closets, which yeah, has yeah. been an issue yep. in the past.
0: How about on this, on this end, you've got exits, I guess on either end?
1: Exits on either end for emergency use. They're not entrance. We'll all just have our entrances in the front lobby. Okay. That way we can control who's coming and who's going. Guess we're ready to head upstairs.
0: Head upstairs. So again, who all's gonna be in this building?
1: When we first move in, we will have first through sixth grade only downstairs. Okay. And we'll have space for adults upstairs. Oh, so adult we education them. space too. Yes. Nice. Um, we will also have a big group room up here. So we can host kids on Sunday for big group events and worship and, and things. And then during the week, um, possibly mops or different outside groups can use right. that space. And Excellent. we'll just be able to spread out. building it will become primarily our preschool building so anyone kinder and below will stay over there hand-in-hand preschool still running there they'll be ready to go and then this building will be grade school only in the beginning but what it offers is a place for both buildings to have sensory rooms oh nice so when we look around at the different needs in our church one of them was a quiet space for someone to go. If they're having a hard Sunday, it can take time in there to do what they need. Uh, One of the things that's great about it is when you're looking at it, we can have a two-thirds, one-third space, so we can cut the room in half and be ready to go and still have a good-sized classroom if someone needs it, and then another large space over here. We wanted to have a coffee area, yep. so we're going to have a little coffee bar over here, ice machines, some different things like that to make it easy to host people, again, to come in and use our place, um, a balcony that will overlook a great green area that wow. we can look at. Them. And That's then beautiful. the buildings will connect, there'll be a covered overhang between the two buildings. Makes sense. Both floors have resource rooms. <laughs>
0: their own resource rooms, very nice.
1: And big, big, not just small ones, so we're pretty excited.
0: So we're supposed to be wrapping up sometime this summer?
1: Yes. Uh, Hoping somewhere in the month of June, subject to change, and uh, we'll go from there. The biggest thing is uh, we'll be getting information out to parents to make sure they understand when their kids will be invited in, Mm -hmm. be ready to go, what it means for our 6th graders to transition into this building. Um, Ultimately, we're excited to have a unique space for unique ages.
0: All right, well, so it gets a little harder as, uh, as we grow um, to make sure everybody gets the information they need on stuff like this, and so we're trying to figure out new ways to communicate stuff, but one of them is still always going to have to sometimes come from right here, and so one of the things for you to be aware of is where we stand on the giving and the pledge and the finances of all of that building and all that kind of stuff so here's here's a couple of things to update you. So it's a, it's a little over four million. It's about four point three million dollar project, which is huge. I mean that's amazing that something would cost that much. But nothing's cheap um, anymore. And so we have this um, this big opportunity to give to that. And, and many already have. We had a um our our campaign was not about how much we raised, but how many different families chose to invest financially. And we. Blew past our original number that we are goal, which was great a couple of years ago. And here's where we are so far. As people have been giving to their pledges, um, we have um, about a little over a million dollars left um, to pay on the building. So about $1.2 million left to pay on the building, um, wherever Paul is. Correct me if I say any of these wrong. I said one of them wrong the first service, even though I have it written correctly. So there you go. That's my one job here. So the, um, uh, and so we have, we have about $1.2 million left to pay on the building, up until now. So for three and something, three-something million dollars, we have not had to take out any type of construction loan. We have paid not a penny in, in interest. That's pretty exciting when you get to the place where you get to build a building based on the money you have in hand. Um, first hour, clapped at that point, but y'all are a tougher crowd. So, um, <laughs> all right. So, no, no, really, it's okay. Too late, you blew it. Now, see, you can just tease. Um, okay, so, but here's the deal. So that means over the next couple of months, we will be paying all these different people who, as we wrap up the building in some, you know, this summer. We've got to pay all those people their final amounts, which means that in the next couple of months, next few months, we'll be paying out another $1.2 million. And so right now, we have about $600,000 in hand that has already been given. Well, obviously, those. Don't match. And if the giving is normal over the next few months, just normal giving, another 100000 or so will come in by then. But there's still a shortfall there. Now, that's not a problem. That's just construction debt. That's not a huge deal if we decide to take on some construction debt. That was always part of the plan that we would, unless um, the giving was such that we didn't have to. And so far, that, that has been the case up until now. The reason I'm letting you know is this is a, a really good opportunity if you have pledge to give to this building and have the opportunity to pay your pledge off early, right now, money that comes in now goes directly to paying for construction. Um, In a few months, some of that money may be used to pay construction debt interest. Well, if you don't want your money to go to pay construction debt interest, if you'd rather it not, then you can go ahead and give early, and if that's the case, and we get to that number, then, then we don't have to do any construction debt or any of that kind of interest or whatsoever. And I think that was a, a goal we had, a hope we had. Um, we plan to do otherwise if we needed to. So here's what you're going to be getting in the next couple of days, maybe when you get home. but you're going to have an email. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be from me. I wrote the email, but you need to know, make sure you understand something. I don't, I don't know where people, I don't know what people give. I don't want to know what people give. That's, that's no, not, not my business, not my problem. That's between you and God and the business office. They're the only ones who have to keep track of that. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but in this email, there's going to be two things, two things for you to. So if you're like me and you go, um, "You know, I know I pledged something, and I think I've given to it, but I'm not sure two years ago, three years ago, how much I pledged or how much I've given. Good for you. What you can do is you can click a link. Send an email to the business office and say, what did I pledge again? And how much have I given toward that? You're welcome to do that. And, and you can find out that information to find out where you stand with that. That'd be awesome. There's another place you can click to just give. And if you're someone who, maybe you've started coming to the church since we did this three years ago, started this process about three years ago, and you used to like, I would love to get to invest some financially in this new building. Great. You can do that. You click on that link, that second link. Um, If you get that email, if you don't, you can send an email to us, and we will send you that. Um, Anyway, we're we're wrapping this up. We're at that place where it's it's very exciting, um, and we want to make sure that we finish strong through this project. And uh, and so wanted to give you that opportunity. Wanted to give you that update. It's an extremely healthy place that we are now. Even if things don't, even if no one jumps in and and does something early or gives extra, um, we're still at a very healthy, awesome place in regards to this. God has been very faithful. Um, but if you're like me and you'd rather we not have to pay any construction loan interest, then now is a good time to, um, to speed up that pledge or to give a little extra, or if you've not gotten to get involved to do so now, that's where we are. Any questions? I know that's so weird. People are like, he just asked if there's any questions in a certain Sunday morning, like, but I I mean, mean, okay, good. Oh, wait, that's a hand. Yes, how long did the pledges through this year so so december of this year was the original plan was through the end of through december of this year if i remember correctly i may not be trustworthy that's yes okay good the thumbs up that is correct okay good all right so now i've got another thing so this week as just going through the normal week and keeping up with what's going on in the world and that kind of stuff uh, something came to my mind, and it's connected to what we're talking about today, but not directly. In the first service, I integrated it into the sermon, but it just felt wrong, like it interrupted the movement of the passage. So one of the things we're going to be talking about today, Jesus is, is, really, um, is really focusing with his disciples on making sure they understand who he is and that they get who he is. And what struck me this week was this question of, do we, do we, are we aware of who he is? And so uh, uh, having the right Jesus is important. If you're gonna follow Jesus, it needs to be Jesus who you're following and not just someone who happens to have the same name. Um, and so this is what struck me. And I, so I wanna just take a second and prepare us for this. I'll reference back to it in the midst of the, the, the passage as well. Um, but uh, to me, it struck me as important, but it's enough of a little segue that I wanna separate it out a little bit. This is what, but this stood out to me. The future um, that we want to have the right person, to have him in him, in the Father, the I am he passage that he's going to reference here in a second. We want to make sure we've got the right person. Um, so this is, this is what I wrote as I was thinking about this. The future of Christianity will continue along the course of Christ becoming whoever, however, or whatever I want him to be. And that's not okay. That's not how this works. He taught, what, the, the idea that we, we want to get to this place. We want him to have taught what we want him to have taught. We want to be comfortable with what he taught. That he held views that we wanted him to hold. That he's silent about topics that we would prefer he was silent. Is that really him, though, is the problem? Are we dealing with the actual Jesus if we invent somebody and then call him Jesus? And, and I think the answer to that is no. Jesus seems concerned that we have the right person in regards to him. As we face over the next few years this conversation, we're going to hear of many things that Jesus talked about or didn't talk about, and what you're going to need to do is go to your Bible to see if that's the truth. Because it's, it's amazing what people will say that Jesus said or didn't say, what he talked about or didn't talk about, and, and they're just sometimes inaccurate about that. Jesus did reference these things. And at least he offers principles, concepts, teachings that we have to learn as the church, As his followers how to apply it and some of where we're gonna see this obviously is in politics and none of us should be stunned or shocked that there aren't any saviors in the political world it's not how that's not how humans work we don't we don't do Savior well Um, and so that's not that's not gonna play out that way but I would pray that God would protect us individually as members of his body of his church and this church etc that we would never fall into the trap of recreating Jesus in our own image, or at least in the image that we would prefer, the teaching that he would teach in the ways that we would prefer. And so the truth is, Jesus spoke to the hot topics of his day very often. Um, And in Matthew, we see them a lot because Matthew is focusing really on Jesus in his day um, as far as as a rabbi and a teacher like that. So here's some of the topics. So Jesus, especially in Matthew, um, we see that Matthew 15 through about 20, we see him reference a lot of these. Um, so here's, for example, here's some things that Jesus actually said. He actually taught. So as we're trying to make sure we have the right Jesus, let's remember that it's the Jesus who said things like this. And Jesus answered, Matthew nineteen four through 9. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The very words of Jesus Christ. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. That's what Jesus said. That to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Matthew, that passage is not primarily about washing hands, by the way. If you're like, sweet, don't have to wash my hands anymore. Like, it, does not, it does not defile you religiously to not wash your hands. Good for you to know. That's good for you to know. Um, it's gross, but it doesn't defile <laughs> you from a religious perspective. Um, Matthew 18, 5. Whoever receives such one such child in my name receives me. Jesus is not silent on the issue of children. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drown in the depths of the sea. Matthew 23, 23. You, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Matthew 5, 43 and 44, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the one who taught the moral principle of turning everyone into neighbors by treating them as neighbors. It's important that we don't change Jesus' teachings to fit what we're comfortable with. It's important that we don't believe other people when they change Jesus' teachings into something they're comfortable with. The teachings of Jesus need to be Jesus' teachings. And we need to embrace them and engage with them and be challenged by them and be pushed by them, um, not make ourselves comfortable with them. So that's just as I was looking this week and realizing that Jesus is pushing his disciples to get who he is. At the same time, we're seeing who he is muddied as much as it can be muddied um, in our current media culture to go, let's, let's remember, he gets to say who he is. So as we're jumping back into this passage um, in John, and by the way, if you, if you don't know what Jesus said about a certain topic, um, looking for Jesus himself, the, Matthew is a great place to dig um, to see if there's a certain topic, a hot topic that Jesus talks about. So this is important because we see when we reference back in John uh, 13, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is a great passage for the rest of what we're going to be talking about as we go through these next few chapters of Jesus teaching straight up morality for the next few chapters and what it means to be a, a Christ follower, what it means to be in him and in the Father and how to live that out, that's going to be played out very powerfully. And to me, it struck me that this is a good, a good way, kind of foundation or filter as we go through it to recognize when Jesus instructs us or tells us, this is what it ought to look like to, to live if you're following me, we need to remember when we say, no, I think, it's, I think I've got a better way to do this, what we're claiming is to be greater than Jesus. That's what We're claiming. When we get to that point, point. and I don't, I don't think any of us, probably not many of us in this room are going to be comfortable making that claim, but understand when we don't do it his way, that is our claim. We're saying, yeah, you're my rabbi, but I get this better than you do, so I'm better than you are, and Jesus is saying, no, see, you're not. If you are, if you're better than me, then you're apparently not my servant, not my messenger, and so this is a great foundation for us to build on as we continue to look through these um, it's one of the things that we talked about. I didn't get to mention this last week um, that the idea of when they wash each other's feet um, and the significance of the feet. And we're going to, once again, we're going to hit the topic of hospitality in this little section. But the washing of the feet, how many of you remember? There's a negative side to this, is too. You remember what happens what, and what Jesus told his followers that when they go someplace and they don't listen to them, they don't welcome them, they do not show them hospitality, what is the tradition? What are you supposed to do? when you leave that community. You might remember? Yeah, you shake the dust off your feet. You, some of you may have been here first service last week and you got to hear this. Why? Why would you shake the dust? Why is there dust on your feet? Yeah, because no one washed your feet. That's an important picture, the failure of hospitality. Jesus is, is he's telling them, listen, he's got to tell them, when someone receives you, they're actually receiving me. And so to, to, be, to refuse to receive you is to refuse to receive me. And that's why he goes on in that passage when he talks about shaking the dust off your feet. He warns, this, it'll be, it, it will be bad news and judgment for a community that will not hear from you. Now, that's God's call, not ours. There's no crusades. We don't, we don't burn cities to the ground. That was never a, a good Christian thing to do because they won't listen to us. It's God's call on how to make these judgment calls. But for us to go, listen, this is significant stuff. This is important stuff. We want to be hospitable. Um, verse 17, I, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them not, not just know them do them live them out this is what will make you happy the word blessed there happy to be in an enviable situation that you will that that where you are is where you ought to be and where you want to be that's how that, that's this is where people will look to you and go wow I wish I could have a life like that now they may not always experience that in the moment. The emotions of that may not be there, but that's the right position to be in. Next verse. So he says these two things. I had to go back to these because he says these two things. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, a messenger greater than one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you. If you do them, I am not speaking to all of you. Ouch! This is just the twelve. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, this is wild. No one would have taken this verse as prophecy. When you go back to Psalm 41, you would not have read this and gone, oh, see, yeah, this is about the Passover. This is about Lord's Supper. But it is a significant understanding. So in Psalm 41, 8 through 10, David probably, some people think it's somebody else, but probably David, I tend to agree, says, they say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Verse 9, even my close friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Look at the language here. You, you, may, be, you may already be aware of this, but let's talk again, yet again, about hospitality here. The language here is wild. He says, in verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted... Now you think that would be terrible to say the one who I trusted has lifted his heel up against me. But the language, is, but the way this says is, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So you may be aware, because sometimes in movies, TV shows, and other things, they will talk about this, they'll show this. There's a great scene in the movie, um, The Kingdom of Heaven, in which Salah Adin has these two crusaders in front of him who he's captured. He takes a cup of ice and he hands it to one of them. And that one takes it and then hands it to the other one. And Salah hadin looks at the one who just got the ice, the second one, and says, I didn't give you that ice. See, this is significant because in the Middle East, when you share food, when you give bread to somebody, you're declaring them safe in your home. There's a pact instantly created by the sharing of food, by the sharing of bread. We're on the same side here. You can sleep soundly in my home. I won't betray you. You won't betray me. If you accept my food, you're saying the same thing. If I give you the food, that's the promise I'm giving you. That's what's, that's, there's still a truth to that to some, some degree today in different parts of the Middle East. But this has been true for a long, long time in that part of the world. In that part of the world, they say that this is, you eat with me. That means something. That's significant. And so what, what David is saying back in those days is this person, not only was this my close friend, but this guy ate bread with me and he still betrayed me. That is unthinkable. Like anyone who would read that would go like, that's just crazy. That's off the wall. Like this, this person is a despicable human being. That's the idea being created. By the way, in the, in the movie, if you know anything about this, the minute Salah Hadim turns to the second man and says, I didn't give you that ice. You should know that's a dead man. Saladin's making it clear. The guy I gave ice to, he's safe. I didn't give it to you. And in fact, about the time the guy eats the ice, they kill him. So this is a, this, that's the idea here. That you, don't, you don't do that. You would never consider, even an enemy, you would never turn on them like that. David is so offended that a friend who ate with him betrays him. So you understand this concept. This is the picture. Judas is in a position of trust. He is sitting at Jesus' table, eating his bread. We'll talk more about this in a second. Eating his bread. Consider the figurative nature of this as well. He has traveled with him. He's been taught by him. He's been led by him. He's been loved by him. Jesus is saying, I have given you the living water, I have given you the bread of life. All of these different things, that's who Judas is in this position of incredible trust. And yet, even though Jesus is clearly offended by the betrayal, he is not ignorant of it. He's not surprised by it. That's what he says here. I know whom I have chosen. Way back in John 6, Jesus said, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? So Jesus knew from the very beginning when he chose these 12 that he was choosing his betrayer. He was choosing someone who was influenced, infected by the devil himself. Imagine, by the way, how convincing it would have been. This is important for Jesus to say this to his disciples. Remember, this is all rooted in the fact that Jesus loves his disciples till the end. So part of him loving them is warning them this is going to happen so that they don't walk away with the false idea. Man, Judas sure pulled a fast one on Jesus. He didn't see that coming. No, Jesus is telling them up front, I know who it is. I know this is going to happen. This is a a beautiful thing. In, In verse 19, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Again, Jesus concerned with them having the right understanding of who he is. Jesus says this is fulfilling prophecy. It isn't just that he knew then. It isn't just that he knew back in John 6, but that this has been known since the psalmist wrote about it. Imagine this consideration as the disciples are going to see the next 24 hours play out in front of them. Now for us, I'm going to say this a few times, for us, the next 24 hours of Jesus' life is going to take months because Jesus is about to teach for three or four chapters in some of the richest, deepest stuff you've ever seen. And that's, we're not going to be able to move through that quickly. So when we get there, I'll come back and reattach this passage because there's going to be a huge. A huge bit between of Jesus' teaching to his disciples that we don't want to slow down for. But, but to understand, this is all going to happen in the next 24 hours that this is going to take place. And, and the disciples are going to be able to say this. He said this would happen. This is what he said would happen. Okay, we don't have to panic. He said it was going to happen like this. This is the great power of the prophetic word. When you teach prophecy, when you, when you go through prophecy, very often in Christian circles, it's kind of the, the Christian version of a scary movie. That's why we study prophecy is because we want to get scared. We want those scared feelings of the future is going to jump out and go boo, right? And so we don't, well, the future is going to get us and it's going to all spin out. Of, Antichrist, ah, mark, ah. And so we, we like to have to, we love to panic at 666. And so we, we, we like to free. That's our version of free. It's 616, by the way. But we get to freak out. Check your Bibles. The, the, um, we get to freak out about that. And that's a feeling. And so we want to watch movies with that. We want to engage in that. And so that's... But which is exactly the opposite purpose of prophecy. Exactly opposite. The purpose of prophecy is so that when things seem to be spinning out of control, we can say, he said this would happen. Oh, yeah. He got this. He already knew this was going to happen. This isn't at all spinning out of control. It's almost like he's the one in charge of this. That's the idea. As we look through prophecy, it's supposed to bring us great comfort, not fear, Now, it may not be fun, parts of it, but as as his followers, we go, I don't have to be afraid of that. It's not gonna spin out of his control. Is it gonna spin out of my control? Listen, if you think you have control now, you're lying to yourself. It's not gonna get more out of control. It's already out of our control. Anyway, he said this would happen. So he says, truly, truly, verse 20. Listen to this language in the midst of this. I'm telling you now before it takes place. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, meaning them, receives me. And who receives me, receives the one who sent me. It's the same language, by the way, he used about children that we quoted a second ago. When you receive a child, you receive me. Same sort of thing. This language, I send you, the Father sent me, the Father therefore sends you. The one who receives you, receives me, receives the Father. That's what's supposed to happen. And by the way, it is what happens if people know that you claim to be a Christian they even realize that's happening. But there's a supernatural thing that's happening here. When we, when people receive us, that's how this works. We're his representatives. So Jesus is trying to stay on topic here. This is who I am. This is who you are. But the topic of his betrayal keeps coming up. This is right here on the, on the tip of his tongue. So you may remember back in, in John 11 when, when Lazarus, I mean at the, at the death of Lazarus, how Jesus was troubled, it said. That he was troubled. Same word here. But it's, it's more than troubled. Troubled seems so tame and mild to us. And when we hear that, that Jesus was troubled. Um, it's that Jesus is so emotional that he's shaking. That Jesus troubled like water being troubled. Like he's, he's shaking. He's got so much emotion inside that it's making him shake. And, and most often, by the way, that word means angry. That he's, he's, there's an anger in him. He's overwhelmed by his emotions in this moment. So, again, Jesus, overwhelmed by emotions here, feeling these emotions here. He's talking about this and given his audience, he then, he's saying this Whoever receives you receives me. And he's, he's talking about this, but then, then it's, like, it's like he gets caught up in the emotion of the moment. There's a check in his spirit. These are his men. He raised them up. They represent him. He trained them. He invested in him. He blessed them. They now represent him and the Father. There's a pause, an emotional pause. Think what they've been together. They've laughed together. They've argued together. They are eating bread together and have done so hundreds of times. They've eaten Jesus' bread. After saying these things in verse 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Again, that doesn't do justice in the English. Troubled, angered, so emotional he's shaking. And getting the words out, he testifies like a testimony in court. Truly, truly. You remember that's always the... Listen, listen. Truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Man, this is awful. He's he's hurt, he's angry. And he's he's one of you is going to betray me. That word, the word betray, what a what an awful word. There's no way to tamp it down. Like I've I tried to figure out how to talk gently, like how to talk. Um, without creating ripples of emotion in this crowd about betrayal and realized, don't bother. You can't talk about betrayal without creating emotion, without creating regret over our own betrayals, without creating resentment over those who have betrayed us. The resentment and regret and hurt of the word betrayal. So years ago, I'm a little bit of a character wonk and I love to define character words. And we decided a few years ago that loyal means unwilling to betray. And then defining betrayal as a kind of a behavior this week was to destroy someone's trust. Now, you can do that. A, a thing can do that unintentionally, like your car can betray you and leave you stranded on the side of the road. Um, your stomach growling can betray that you are hungry, right? I mean, things like that. You can. You can. Uh, that's the concept. But I don't think with people betrayal can be an accident. By definition, betrayal is essentially saying. I'm cashing in our relationship for something else that I want more. I'm cashing in your trust because I want something else more than I want your trust. I'm done with it. I am, I'm, I am betraying you. You cannot trust me as a declarative. You can't trust me anymore. Now, sometimes we use the word betrayal way too emotionally and when it's not appropriate. When we've just run into someone's flaws or their failings or they messed up or they just kind of blew it or whatever... Betrayal is someone knowing what they're doing and saying, you know what, it's worth it to me. It's worth it to me for you to never trust me again to experience this. That's a despicable word. Now, we don't always know that's what we're doing at the time. If we knew sometimes if we counted that cost, it'd be worth it to us. This is the root of the awfulness of, for example, abuse or infidelity. The awfulness of this is the promise I make to you But I've decided I would rather express my rage than maintain that promise. I've decided I would rather rather have this experience with this person than maintain my promise. See what I mean? It's hard to protect ourselves from the emotion of betrayal. If you talk about betrayal, people feel judged. Because we are all betrayers. At some level, if someone unrolled enough of our life and enough details we would discover we've all betrayed. This is the betrayal of, of this to promise a spouse that you'll be faithful with them until one of you is dead and then decide, yeah, never mind. That's, that's the betrayal. That's why it's so hard to recover from. I believe divorce is a betrayal of children. I think essentially what you've said is, here's what I promise you as children that we, you will have a, a stable home, a father and a mother, and we will work to make this happen, whatever it takes. If at all possible, now it takes two. As Jesus says, it's the hardness of heart. When that heart gets hard and both people's hearts, hearts are hardened, or one person just to the point that they don't care what God says about it, that we promise to give them this healthy, intact family to the best we can, and then we say, you know what? It's more worth it to me to find another option. Now listen, automatically, like I said, when you start talking about betrayal in the application, this isn't about beating people up, and I'm about to explain why. This isn't about beating you up. I know there's plenty of divorce and plenty of infidelity and plenty of abuse that's going on in our lives. I know that that's the case. And so this isn't, this isn't like, here, let me take this word betrayal and smack you with it. This is being aware of the significance of the decisions that we're making, that we would go, you know what? To the degree it's up to me, I don't want to be this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to live this out. To the degree that it's up to me, this is a decision I'm going to make. I am not greater than my master, and that we would make that call. Now, here's, here's one of the most amazing things ever, by the way, in the Bible. This is, this is the, and, and so I have to jump ahead. So spoiler alert, not about the Avengers movie, about the Bible. So we're, you're okay. So spoiler alert here is Judas is not the only betrayer between this and the end of the book of John. We have two betrayers. It's fascinating to me that we talk about Judas and, and we, rep, you know, we put him over here with, with just a handful of other people, the Benedict Arnolds of the world that we go, these are the worst and Judas is the worst of the worst. He's the, the worst of the betrayers. And, and we're not wrong, by the way, with that. But isn't it funny that we still name our kids Peter even though we don't name our kids Judas? Peter's a betrayer. We think of Judas as the betrayer. We don't think of Peter, comma, the betrayer. But shouldn't we? I mean, Peter just covers his own backside, and in doing so, denies that Jesus even exists. Denies that he's part of him. Denies that not that he exists, but that he's part of his that he exists as part of his team. That I was one of his men. No, no. That Jesus. I mean, Peter is going to betray Jesus in the same way. Here is one of the coolest things. So remember how I said one of our themes is going to be who is this God? Who is this person? What we're going to see before we're there, and it's chapter twenty-one, so we are months away. And so I don't want to leave you, those of you who are dealing with the emotion right now, of going like, "I went through a divorce, I was unfaithful, I've been abusive, or whatever other version of betrayal that you have." I don't want to leave you hanging there to go, "Wow, this is awful." I just I've been so judged and whatever. and, And no, no, listen. Here's what's wild: we have a God who restores even betrayers. Isn't that amazing? We have a God that even restores betrayers, people who betray him. And and Judas does not seek that restoration by the end. Again, how he is judged is between him and God. But Peter finds restoration with Jesus. This is a God who restores, not just forgives. Ladies and gentlemen, not just forgives, restores even betrayers. So find comfort in the truth of that. That as being betrayers as we all are, to one degree or another, we need to be restored with him. So let's wrap up this little section here. What ha- Here's what happens. Verse 22. The disciples look at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. So he just said, I say, one of you will betray me. Again, shaking with emotion. One of you will betray me. The disciples look at one another, uncertain of what he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask of Jesus, of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I, give, I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Again, it's the son of Simon. In case y'all forgot that since like 10 verses before when John pointed out this was the son of Simon. Um, this is a big deal to John. Again, we don't know fully why. But but Here's what's wild. Instead of there being some all this like deep teaching to go into with this, this is just John telling you what happened. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing like there's. There's one thing in it that stands out to me that's kind of wild. But but this is just John telling you. And by the way, here's another little story that you'll think is interesting. So here's the way this played out. So we were there at the we were there at the Passover. They didn't know then it was called the Last Supper. By the way, that's they would have just called it Passover. So they're leaning on their left and eating with their right hand, right? And so and so. Peter, Jesus says this, somebody's going to betray me. Peter says, hey, John, ask him who it is. That's it. And John goes, okay. So John leans back. Now here's what's wild. We have Jesus. This, we don't know how the table is seated, but this is, the most, this is the best guess. We don't know for sure. But so you would have all the disciples, and we don't know who sat where, but we do know probably these four. So so. Peter, across the table where no one else can hear him, because he's got, you know, they're down at the end, maybe, don't know this, but maybe. Hey, ask him who it is. John says, okay. So John, it says, leans back into Jesus' chest, which means John is to Jesus' right. Now, kind of facetiously, jokingly, I said, this may be John's way of, of kind of subtly letting us know that he was seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper, which is the, the seat of honor. Maybe this whole story is just so we'll know that John, in the end, was the one sitting at the right. I don't think so, but that just seems funny. He just kind of like, by the way. Anyway, so, so J- John leans back. Hey, ask him. So John leans back and goes, hey, who is it? And Jesus says, whispering back, hey, it's, um, it's the one I'm gonna give this bread to. Okay. It's gonna be the one he's gonna give the bread to. So they watch. Jesus takes a piece of bread we don't know which piece of bread. We don't know when exactly this was during the, during the meal. Most people agree that it's before the establishment of the Last Supper. I mean before the establishment of the Lord's Supper, excuse me. Because Judas is not, does not partake in that. Jesus sends him out before that moment. So here you have, he takes a piece of bread. He dips it probably in the salty water. Those of you who have done Passover, dips it in the salty water. And hands it to Judas. And Peter and John go. No way. Judas. Now, I think John probably went, I knew it. <laughs> right? Have you ever met his dad? Like, I think that's, anyway. So, I think, <clears throat> here's what's, but that's, that's the, that's all that happens here. Now, here's what stands out to me about this whole thing, though. And the, this, I, I saw this years ago when I tried to create a little seating chart before we did Passover, before I did Passover one time. What would the seating chart have looked like? And this is actually... Again, we don't know, but this is the best guess. But if Jesus, if Jesus is close enough to Judas to dip bread and hand it to him, unless he happens to be directly across the table and it's a short table, it means that Judas is at Jesus' left hand, the next highest seat of honor at the Jewish table. So here's what blows me away. Jesus is sitting there with, with Judas at his table. Jesus has invited Judas to the Last Supper, would you have? I mean, if you knew he was going to betray you, wouldn't you have said, hey, you know what, before we eat, go do it now. I don't want to break bread with you. I don't want to share wine with you. I certainly don't want to slay with my back to you for an entire Passover meal. Well, you talk about the literal expression of a figurative, someone who's going to stab me in the back. For Jesus to sit with his back to to Judas for this entire Supper until near the end when he sends him out. Who is this guy? Who invites a betrayer to have a dinner with him? Who does that knowingly? Well, Jesus does. This is a different level of love and godliness that we that we just can't even wrap our brain around. And even if you know it's going to happen, you don't invite him to dinner, and you sure don't seat him next to you. Yeah, you know, Jesus did. You realize this means Jesus washed Judas's feet. That he invited Judas to the last Passover with him, and then he washes Judas's feet, and then ends up sitting with his back directly to Judas the whole time. Man, I just—I wonder at—is this the kind of stuff that flooded Judas's mind and heart when he ends up taking his own life? Is memory Jesus doing these type of things? Is that what blew him away? I, we don't—we don't know Judas's heart with this. What we do know is that Jesus says this. Jesus says, after he had taken the, the morsel, Satan entered into him. So now, notice the, the language. Is he receiving the son? Is he receiving the father? No, he is receiving Satan. <clears throat> so Judas received Satan, and Jesus says to him, who do you think the him is? Is it Judas? Is it Satan? Are they one and the same? Jesus now speaks with authority to him. Jesus doesn't ask for a lot in the Bible, and here's another one. What you're going to do, do it quickly. Go now. This is the domino. Maybe arguably the first one, certainly the first in a set that Jesus kicks over and says, all right, we decided it was time. It's time. Step one, Judas, go do your part. He gives the instruction to Judas slash Satan to go finish off the betrayal, to get it done. And then I believe they wrap up the Lord's Supper. Now, this is an immediate thing, and it's going to happen very quickly. Again, for us, it's going to take months as we teach through this, so we'll come back and connect it. But the idea that we serve a God, we claim a God who restores even betrayers, who is the one who triggered the events that would lead to his own crucifixion so that our sins, not in part, but the whole, would be nailed to the cross and we would bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Father, We're so grateful for the goodness of who you are and for the way you lead us. God, thank you for introducing us to yourself. Thank you for teaching to us about things that matter to you. It's such a blessing for us, Lord, to know your opinion on things. Because sometimes we have different opinions than you do. And Lord, I pray that we would remind ourselves all the time that we are not greater than our master. We're messengers. We're not greater than the one who sent us. But I pray we will bear carefully, lovingly, freely, gracefully that we get to be your messengers. That when people receive us, they receive you. And we pray that they will receive you as you are. God, among other things, the type of God who restores even betrayers. Thank you that as we have been lost, as we have been sick, as we were your enemies, as we were those who stood against you, agents of wrath and betrayers, still you died for us of your love for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to embrace that, to be appreciative of that, to be grateful for that, and to live out the free life that comes with that. God, I pray that we, in fact, would be blessed, filled with joy, happy, and in an enviable situation of doing what you've told us to do. Thank you, Father. We ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.